Let's get to our message today. It's called Liberated to Love, part one. Philemon 8 to 11. Let's read the word of God together. It reads, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for causing us to come to the book of Philemon during the lockdown. And Lord, we just thank you that it's such a simple letter, but yet it has such depth. We pray that you'll speak to the depth of our hearts so that we might truly be your believers, your children, and true brothers and sisters to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, today's sermon is the first of two entitled Liberated to Love. And, you know, these two weeks will be simply be a deeper dive into what it and what in what the great the greatest commandment is. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and being, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But we're gonna flip it around a little bit. We're gonna start with the loving your neighbor as yourself first. And that's what today's message is all about. And I entitled this series Liberated to Love. Simply because it means this, God freed us, God saved us so that we can love like he does, to love him like he does and to love each other like he does. This is one of the primary reasons why we were saved. How many of you believe that's true? You know, you don't have to raise your hand or anything. I bet if you were, if we were in the same room and I were to ask, how many of you believe this is true? I bet almost all of us would raise our hands. We were saved so that we could love God with all that we have. We were saved so that we could love others as we love ourselves. So then here's the question. You know, if we, if we were saved to love others like we love ourselves, then do we wake up every single morning, you know, saying, hey, I wonder who I'm going to love today. How can I love that person like Jesus loves them? Do you wake up like that? You know, if that's one of the greatest reasons why God saved us, then why don't we do that? I'm going to go a little negative that one. I'm just going to assume that we probably don't wake up like that. You know, and hopefully it's a little bit confronting, isn't it? You know, and I think today is going to be a good day to be confronted and challenged. And I don't preach this message, this confronting message, because I think I'm any better. I'm not. I'm just as guilty. I don't think I wake up like that thinking that every single day. But I preach this message because I think the church is majorly failing in this area. So, you know, I just want to call an apple an apple. You know, I don't, I think for a lot of Christians and maybe for the church itself sometimes, what we say we believe a lot of times doesn't align to how we live. And I think that needs to change. You know, the church. And Christians today seem to be about so many other things than just being God's love to the world and to each other, right? That's the greatest commandment. And I think that needs to change. So we need to return to what God commanded us to be. You know, I mean, and I thought, and this is what I thought about, you know, I thought back to when I was first, when I first became a Christian, maybe you guys can think back to when you first became a Christian too. I mean, were you not, or were you? Like totally in love with Jesus. I mean, I was. I was absolutely just in love. He was all that I could think about. And I spent my days, you know, praying for my non-Christian friends, praying for all my friends who didn't know Jesus. And I just wanted them to, to come to know Jesus. Was it like that for you? And then when I would go to church, I was like so, so happy because 
I was where other believers were. And I didn't care if they were older, younger, whatever race they were. I didn't care where they came from. All I knew is that when I saw them, Christ was in those people. And that was something to celebrate. And that was something that I was so joyful to be a part of. I loved church. And I loved church people. Were you guys like that when you first became a Christian? Here's the question. If so, are you still like that? Do you still have the same driving passion to love others and to see them know and experience Jesus Christ through you each and every single day? Or do you kind of only practice that during CG time or maybe when you're serving other people at church? And if it's the latter, I hope it's the former. I hope, it, I hope, I hope everyone's doing that everywhere. But if it's the latter, if that's what happened in your life, then the question is, what happened? And once again, I don't say that because my life is any better. I've gone that direction too so many times in my Christian walk. For me, and when I look back, ultimately, I think the answer is that sin got in the way. I mean, instead of waking up each and every single day wanting to love other people like Jesus Christ, I started to wake up every single day just wanting to make myself happy. And that's where it all goes wrong. And so even in my faith, when that's like your goal in life, I gravitated towards teachings that made me feel good. Eddie, you can be blessed. Eddie, God wants to help you. He wants to heal you. You know, he wants to give you all that you need. You know, those teachings that I'm talking about, those types of teachings that make faith about you and not about learning how to love like Christ loved us, which is the greatest commandment. And sin affected me in other ways too. You know, not just what I hungered to hear, but I started to blame the church every single time the church wasn't making me happy. Right? Did you ever do that? Right? Did you know that making you happy was never a function of the church? You can search the whole Bible. You'll never find a verse that says that making you happy is a function of the church. But we get angry when the church doesn't, don't we? That's demented, but that's what sin does. And then we start to complain about leaders in the church that don't make us happy. And then that judgment travels on to members of the church that don't make us happy. And then do you see how sin can dement a faith that was once in love with Jesus and other people and turn it into a faith that becomes one that is in love with yourself. No wonder, you know, we're failing to hear his voice these days. No wonder we're failing to experience him regularly, you know, in our lives. And no, no longer, we're no longer about him and the greatest commandment anymore. You know, instead of living for God and love, loving God and loving others, in reality, we're kind of waking up every single day just wanting to love ourselves, right? And so what do we need to do? We need to bridge this gap between what we say we believe and how we actually live our lives. We need to shorten this gap, you know, and that's what I hope we it can happen today, you know. Now, I'm not here to make excuses, but I understand it sometimes. It's not only sin that contributes to that, but I know there are many of us when it comes to our faith, you know, it, this is what happened. And I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to make excuses, but this is the way I see it, too, in my life. You know, I'm a child of an immigrant of immigrant parents. You know, we've heard over and over again that our parents came to Australia to give us a better life. And, and so naturally, I think some of us turned out in the sense that we kind of feel entitled 
to a better life. And many of us have carried that sense of entitlement into our faith. And as a result, we've made our faith about our happiness and our satisfaction rather than Christ. It's almost as if becoming a Christian makes us feel better about ourselves. And if that's you, then sin got you too. You know, and it's time that we get back to what faith in Christ is really about, which is God's pleasure and God's satisfaction and back to his mission and not ours, which is to love others with his love. Do you guys understand that? Do you guys get that? And so if that's you, today is a day to confront that, to correct that today, you know, because the Bible says that we were blessed to what? To be a blessing to others. Christ showed himself to us so that we can show Christ to the rest of the world. We were saved so that other people could be saved through us. And we were loved so that we can now love others. We were liberated to love. And I want all of us to return to that mission in a unified way today. Do you guys get that? I know you're asking, Eddie, does this have anything to do with Philemon? Aren't we supposed to talk about Philemon? Yes, we are. And, and, and what I'm talking about is exactly what our passage is talking about today. You see, the Apostle Paul, you know, he wants Philemon to love like Christ, like Christ does. You know, there are so many voices, and you have to realize in Philemon's life, there are so many voices that are clamoring for Philemon's attention. You know, he's so tempted to listen to all these voices. There are so many pressures from society telling him he's got to be a certain way. There's pressures from other slave owners and from other slaves saying, you can't do this, you need to do this. There are even like pressures and voices from the church saying exactly how he's supposed to live. Not to mention him battling his own sense of identity, his own sense of justice, his own sense of purpose. There are a lot of voices. But Paul's writing this letter to Philemon to basically remind him that the only voice that matters is Christ. And he has called us to love like he does, no matter how hard it is and no matter what it costs, because this is what we were liberated for. And the challenge that Paul is basically presenting in this particular passage, if we read in between the lines of this text, is this. He's saying this. He's saying, all of us, Say we believe in unconditional love and forgiveness. But are we actually loving other people unconditionally? And are we actually practicing generous forgiveness like Christ does with us? And that's the real question here. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then that's who Jesus Christ has called us to be. And hopefully today, that's what we all decide to become or return back to or even dive deeper into. Christ liberated us so that we can love others like Christ does. And Christ's love liberated us to love in two ways. The first is that he liberated us to love others freely. And secondly, he liberated us to love God willingly. We're going to talk about the second point next week. We're just only going to talk about this one point this week today. And that's it. Christ's love liberates us to love others Freely. Let's look at verse 8 and 9 together. It says this. It says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the base of love. In these verses, Paul saying that he can order Philemon to forgive Onesimus. He can order Philemon to accept 
you know, Onesimus as a brother. He can order him even maybe to free Onesimus from being a slave. But Paul doesn't want to use his authority to do that. He doesn't want to use his friendship or his partnership to make Philemon do that. Paul genuinely wants Philemon to love Onesimus freely. Just like Christ loved us freely, God loved us freely, undeservedly, generously, unconditionally. Paul wants Philemon to do that and to want to do that with Onesimus, right? So in that way, to actually live out what he professes that he believes in. And that's actually one of the true challenges of Christianity, isn't it? I mean, do you want your faith to be defined by what you say you believe or by how you actually live? And if you've been a Christian long enough, you know that you can't have the first without a second. Without the second, you know, faith without works is what? It's dead. It's not really faith at all, is it? God is always calling us into faith to live out our beliefs and to be a man and woman of unconditional love. And it's upon that basis that Paul challenges Philemon to honor and value Onesimus as God does. Let's look at verse 11 here. This is what Paul says. Paul says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And I got to tell you, this verse is really cool. There's actually a huge wordplay that occurs here in the Greek. And it's a wordplay basically based on the name of Onesimus and the Greek word of what it means to be a believer, right? The word Onesimus or the name Onesimus means useful. That's a cool name. And the, the other word is actually one letter off. And the other word is the word that means to be in Christ. And so what Paul's saying here is this. He's saying this. He's saying to the normal person, slaves are all useless. But Onesimus was once one of those useless slaves. But he has now become a brother in Christ. And therefore, now he has become useful as a full brother in Christ. Not only to us as a partner in the gospel, but to his kingdom. And here is the message that he's trying to send to Philemon while he says this. He's saying, He's saying, Philemon, I bet bet you don't look at Onesimus like that, do you? And he didn't. Philemon never saw Onesimus like that. Onesimus was still just a useless slave to Philemon. And even worse, Onesimus was now the person that hurt Philemon by running away from him, by stealing from him. And so I got to imagine as a human being, Philemon's probably not that happy with Onesimus. He's probably angry with him. He doesn't like him. He wants justice. He wants punishment, you know, for Onesimus. That's normal. That's how normally human beings react. But God is challenging Philemon to change his heart. The slave that hurt him is now being honored and valued by God. And that's huge, right? And so what he's saying is the slave that hurt you, Philemon, is now to be honored and valued. Why? Because that's what God sees when he sees Onesimus. That's what God God has done by saving Onesimus. And if God sees a useless slave as worthy to be saved and used eternally for his glory, then that is how we must all see other believers. And that's huge, isn't it? If God sees a person worthy enough to be saved, then we must now see that person the way God does, regardless of their past, regardless of their current worldly status, 
regardless of how that person may have hurt us personally or stole from us or treated us in the past, if God honors them and considers them useful and valuable to him in the kingdom, then we must now see it as our privilege to help that person and love that person to become all that God is willing him or her to be. That's pretty huge, isn't it? But that's the teaching for today. You know, when I was in youth ministry, I had this student share with me one day that he was being bullied. And that's actually horrific. And But he was like, Eddie, please don't tell the school. Please don't tell my parents. Can we just pray for a week or two? You know, can you promise me, please, you won't do anything? And I said, okay, I'll pray. And then one day, a few weeks later, he comes to church and he says, Eddie, the worst thing happened. And I said, what? What happened? He goes, Eddie, that bully, he became a Christian. And I said, that's awesome. You know, what an answer to prayer. It's amazing. And then this kid goes, no, it's not. I said, why not? And he said, because I have to treat him differently now, right? And that's exactly what he said. But even this high school student innately felt and knew this burden to change his perspective. He had to see that bully differently. If God honored that bully enough and valued him enough to save him, then my student must now be invested in him as a brother in Christ. That's huge, but that's the truth. If we are saved, we are called to honor and value other believers as God does. But that's not easy to do, is it? Especially if you've grown up in the same church with them. I mean, you know everything about them. And even worse, they know everything about you. There's so much to judge. There are so many unforgettable events that are still burned into our memories. And those memories, some of them, still hurt a lot. There are so many reasons not to trust, not to love, not to invest. If you just look at their past and their past track record, they don't deserve justice or love or you in any way. But that's exactly how Philemon felt towards Onesimus. And if God's calling Philemon out here in this passage, which he is, God's calling Philemon's lack of Christian love out here. If that's what God's doing, then he's doing, he's calling all of us out as well. What does that mean? It means that if there's somebody in our church who's a brother or sister in Christ, we are called to honor them and to value them and to invest in them regardless of their past, regardless of your personal history with them. Because if God honors them and is invested in them for eternity, then that's enough. That's enough reason for you to do the same. And therefore, we must now honor them and serve them in that way. Is that tough? Of course it is. Because we all have, you know, we all have frenemies in the church, don't we? But that's why this point is called liberated to love. And this is where I want you to listen up here. Onesimus might have been the slave in this story, but the one who was truly imprisoned is Philemon, isn't it? And maybe a lot of us are like that too. I mean, he was the one that was imprisoned in his own worldly judgments. He was the one consumed with his past hurts. He was the one imprisoned in his worldly attitudes towards what was right or what was just, in his worldly concerns as to what other people are going to think about him and his worldly status. He was even imprisoned in his own worldly desires for himself and his desire just to get whatever he wants versus what God wants. But the thing is, when you choose to live like that in that world, you can never be free. Paul is reminding him 
that when God had every reason to shun us as his enemies, what did he do? He sent his son to die for us and to love us instead. That's his sense. Of, that's God's sense of justice. Amazing, isn't it? When God had every opportunity to put up walls and to exclude us from fellowship with him because of our sins against him, instead, what did he do? He created a much bigger invitation for us to share in all that he is through the blood of his son. And because we are recipients of that amazing, unconditional, undeserved love, we have now been freed to love others in the exact same way. God's not asking us to do what he didn't model for us first. He's simply asking us to love like he did and showed us already. He liberated us from sin and this worldly thinking so that we can see others and love others just like he does. And when we are truly free, our love can now reveal divine qualities of Christ to each other. You know, a few years ago, I read this article that came out about this couple in Florida. And this couple in Florida visits this inmate in jail every single month. And what's special about that is that this inmate that they visit killed their daughter. You know, and even though they had every right to like be angry and to, to wish the worst for their daughter's killer. Instead, this is what they're quoted as saying. They said they knew that Christ was challenging them to step up in their faith and to forgive and to love like he did. Oh man, I don't know if I can do that. If somebody killed my kids, wow, I just, I can't even, anyway, it's hard, but they did. And if I read one of the versions of this article correctly, this is what it said. It said, right after they visited their daughter in the morgue, they went to go visit the killer right away in jail because they knew that God wanted to use them to help restore him. Isn't that absolutely bonkers? And so with the help of the church, they not only forgave, but they felt as if it was their mandate to leave a legacy of love in this killer's life, not hate. Isn't that just divinely beautiful? It is. I know that's a radical example, but it mirrors exactly what Paul seems to be saying in this letter, doesn't it? When people wrong us, we can easily blame and judge and pursue a course of justice that we seem fit. Or we can see it as an opportunity to step up in our faith and to reveal his divine, unconditional, undeserved love to others. Because every single time we choose to judge or we choose to hate on others or we choose to be condescending or we choose to box them in or leave them in that box saying, oh, that guy's, that guy's just who that guy is. And he'll always be known for this. That's when we imprison ourselves instead of continually experiencing the liberating joy of loving like God does. You guys know that passage, 1 Corinthians 13. We always hear 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings, don't we? And why not? Because it's absolutely beautiful. But did you know that 1 Corinthians 13 was never written for people at weddings, right? It wasn't even written for couples, but we use it all the time. Did you know that the original intent of 1 Corinthians 13 was to teach people in the church how to love one another? And so when you understand that, these are not, these are instructions. These are commands. These are not suggestions. These are not guidelines. These are to be obeyed. 
So let's take a peek at these verses and hopefully in that context and in that perspective, I hope these verses speak powerfully to you. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8, it says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Are you guys one of those? Right? If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing in God's eyes. It's huge. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Maybe except for pride and hypocrisy. Here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. We aren't to be any of those things with people at church. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And here we go. It keeps no record of wrongs. 70 times 7 we are to forgive. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. It's huge, right? This is our instruction booklet on how we are to treat every member in the church. Love, this kind of love, this quality of divine love must rule our relationships with other believers. But what does it take to love like that? Well, it takes two things. Number one, it takes a change in perspective and it, cha- it takes a willingness to suffer. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 of what Paul wrote today. It says, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. And here, Paul's saying two things. The first is this. Every member in our church is now part of your family. You are to treat every member of our church as if they are your family members. How many times does Paul use family language here? He says, love, old man, my son, my son. He's saying that if someone is a believer, you are now to treat them as family. What does that mean practically? It means this. If you're 35 years old right now and you don't know what who these 18-year-olds are, that is still not an excuse for you not to love them, take care of them, reach out to them. You know what I'm saying? You know, so what if you can't relate with them or you've no idea what they're talking about? I don't either, but I reach out to them anyway, you know? We just love because they're part of our family. This is what we need to do. You know what it means? Vice versa. It means the same thing. You might be a 19-year-old right now and you look at someone like me, 49-year-old, old and decrepit Eddie Bang. Dude, I have nothing in common with that guy. I don't want to hang out with that guy. He's so not cool. And it's probably true, but it doesn't matter. Too bad. You have to love me. You have to hang out with people like me because we're family. We're part of the same church. We're part of the same spiritual family. And the way we treat each other and love each other must be just as generous and unconditional and undeserved as we would love any blood member of our family. Do you guys understand that? And here we go. And this is where where it gets harder. And especially if there are people that you have history with and that you don't like and that may have hurt you, this is the time to change your perspective. If God, honored, if God honored them with salvation and believes that they are eternally useful to him, then you must as well. You must honor that person and value that person and love that person like 1 Corinthians 13 says, 
as God's instrument for his glory. And in doing so, liberate yourself from your worldly imprisonments. And the second thing that Paul's saying in this passage is this. He's saying to live out that love takes suffering. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't hold any punches here. He doesn't hold them back. In verses 9 and 10, we don't, we're not going to go there. Paul mentions imprisonment twice, and that's very intentional. He reminds us of the cost of love, which is suffering, right? For Christ, that cost was death. For Paul, it was imprisonment. What does it take for us to love? What's it going to cost us to love other people like Christ does? It's probably going to take our time, emotion, heart, our thinking, effort. We have to die to our pride. You know, we might have, we might lose money, right? It might cost us financially. I mean, it costs us a lot, doesn't it? No wonder so many of us choose not to do it on a daily basis. But when we do, it carries the power not only to transform people, but to transform our church. Why? Because we're living out the greatest commandment. This is what we were saved for. But this is a choice that God gives you to make every single day freely, right? It's a choice that you must make in your life every single day. You will never be coerced by God to love people. You will never be guilted into it, and you shouldn't. God wants you to freely love others just as freely as he has chosen to love you. And I hope that you choose to move your life in that direction as well. So just as Paul appealed to Philemon on the basis of love, God is appealing to us on the basis of his love as well. Will you truly be a man of love, a woman of love? Will you make the greatest commandment your greatest concern once again? Let's love our neighbors as ourselves freely. Let's pray. Let me leave you with just three challenges that will hopefully help you to grow your love, and then we can pray together. Number one, is Jesus Christ your greatest delight, right? If not, then you know, loving other people will always be a burden. Let's repent for making ourselves our greatest delight. And let's return that back upon Christ once again. Secondly, you know, do you see other people like God does to be honored and use, a useful tool for the kingdom? If not, if you don't see him that way, the way God does, then you're always going to treat them like the world does. Let's repent of looking at people like that. And then let's commit ourselves to loving them, investing in them, and suffering for them. This is our calling as brothers and sisters in Christ. And lastly, here's a bigger question. You know, how are you going to now live as a man of love, as a woman of love? What practical steps can you take to become who God has called you to be and commanded you to be? Let's just pray about some of those things together. Let's, get, let's pray for like a minute or two, and then I'll close us in prayer, and I'll close us with the benediction. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you so much because you made Christianity in a way that it's not about what we ought to do or what we should be doing. But you've given us the freedom to want to be like you. And Father, we ask that you would just do that within us and within our hearts and within our lives. Make us like you, God. And Father, especially when it comes to love, make us like you in your love with others. Father, we thank you that we go to church with people that bug us. We thank you that you, you we go to church with people that like scratch our hearts in a bad way. And Father, that bother us, Lord. And we thank you that you're always challenging us to step up in our faith. Lord, help us to do so. Lord, not because we just want to be a good Christian, but because we want to be like you. Make that our heart. Father, we pray that you would just return us back to you to make Jesus our greatest passion once again so that we might love others with your love once again. We need your love. We need you and your love so that we can love like you. And God, we pray that you'll return that back to our hearts. Make us a church filled with people who just want to love like you do. So God, I pray that you help us do just that. Remind us every single day that you choose to love us freely with all that you have. No matter how much we may have been disobedient or rebellious yesterday, your mercies are new every morning. Your generous, unconditional, undeserved love is always available for us. And we thank you, God, for that example that you show us every day so that we can mirror it and revel in it, celebrate it, and mirror it with our lives. Help us to do that, God, all for you. We thank you, Lord, for all this. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's end our service with the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his face upon you and be generous to you. The Lord radiate his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen.